If you please have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. We continue our study in our series, Hypocrisy and Grace, from Matthew chapter 23. I remember Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus' first public sermon, which is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew 23 is Jesus' last public sermon before he is crucified. So this is the last week of Jesus' life. And remember, he is a gracious God. He is the King of kings, the King of the Jews who came to his people who were, who were in darkness, in the, in the shadow of death. And they believed that they knew the Lord, but they did not know the Lord. They were sitting in their sins. And the people mostly had rejected Jesus. They loved his miracles. They loved the, 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 the wonderful things that he was doing, but they rejected his call to repentance and faith. And the leaders rejected him completely, as we see in this passage. The leaders were hateful, and they desired to destroy Jesus. And in this last week of the Lord's life, he now brings the most severe condemnation that we see in Scripture concerning false teachers. And last week we studied Matthew chapter 23, verse 16 to 22, and we saw how the Pharisees were playing word games so they could find loopholes in order not to keep their promises. And they were exposed by Jesus as deceitful liars who twisted scripture so that they and others could justify their sin and that they could continue in their sin. And Jesus condemned the religious Pharisees. He called them blind guides, he called them blind fools, and he called them blind men because they were leading people away from the truth, away from the only hope that they had, which ultimately prevented people from coming to a personal relationship with the living God. So in our section today, we will focus on verse 23 and verse 24. And this is the fifth of the Lord's woes in this sermon, where he is essentially saying, woe to you because you major on the minors. You focus on the non-essentials. And their attention to, to little things was a pretext for ignoring the most important thing of all, which we are going to study. So look at Matthew 23. I'm going to read from verse 16 for context, but we're going to focus on verse 23 and 24. So from verse 16, if you would follow me in your Bibles. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Verse 23. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a net and swallowing a camel. But if you went to college or university, or you have a child in college or university, you may have understood the, the title of the sermon this morning, Majoring on the Minors. Well, every student who goes to college eventually must decide on a major. A major is a primary academic subject or focus and that most of the classes will surround themselves on. And the major has certain requirements and will determine what sort of degree that they will end up receiving at the end of the day. But a college minor is an is a extra subject of, of interest, but is not required in order to get your degree. So in our context this morning, I'm using this term to explain how the Pharisees focused all their attention on secondary, unnecessary non-essentials rather than the main major subject. My first point this morning in verse 23 is Jesus identifying the problem. And he identifies the problem in verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the Pharisees attached very little concern on that which was most important. And they focused on those things which were least important. They were meticulous. They were very fussy about those things that, that were debatable, but they were careless about those things that were central, that were obvious, that God wanted them to obey. They paid complete attention to external little details, insignificant details, while they were ignoring God's priority of a godly internal character. And perhaps we could say that they were more concerned about being right than they were about being righteous. Look at verse 23. The Lord condemns these scribes and their Pharisees for their eagerness. He says, to pay tithe of mint and dill and cumin because they neglected the weightier matters of the law. Notice that Jesus does not condemn them for tithing itself. This was a biblical principle. In fact, the Old Testament law even commanded the tithing of their agricultural produce. And they were an agricultural community, so they would have to tithe on um, their, their produce, on their harvests. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it clearly says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, the Lord says, You shall tithe 
all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. So there was a tithing principle, and it was essentially a principle of ownership. They were declaring that God was the owner of all these things that they had received. The tither acknowledged that he was a steward or she was a steward of what ultimately belongs to God. And the one thing was making a confession that God owned all that they had, that he was simply a steward, and because of that, he offered a portion of that back to God, of what God had given to him. It was done as an act of worship. It was done as an act of obedience. Now, the problem was the Pharisees were so fussy about this that they tithed even on the common garden variety spices, mint, um, dill, um, there's uh, anise, it's in, the K, in the KJV it's translated as, as anise, and in cumin, they were all common little spices, which people would cultivate in their own little herbal gardens. They weren't, this wasn't from the field. The Pharisees were so diligent in their tithing that they actually counted the amount of leaves from, from the mint plant, um, pulling one-tenth off the, the plant and, and giving these leaves as a, as a tithe. And they would do the same for the little spices of, of dill and, and cumin. And of course, if you read the, the Old Testament, we just looked there in Leviticus 27 and in Deuteronomy chapter 14, the law never commanded them to tithe of their spices. This was not part of the law. It wasn't required. But the Pharisees, remember, they were self-righteous. They wanted to be seen as these spiritual giants. And they were so meticulous that they made sure that they, that they performed in front of everybody. And they even gave 10% on these garden variety spices. They thought that they were so thorough about God's law that the law was over that they were over and above the law. And they made the law more weightier than it needed to have been. More weightier than God intended it to be. They put these burdens on people that that shouldn't have been put upon them. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to them, You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters. He says there, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So tithing was, and it is important to, to God, but not nearly as important as justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's what verse 23 says. They have neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So justice calls for a righteous relationships, a right relationship with people. It involves a, the way that you treat people. And we should be doing it in a, in a godly way. Mercy speaks of, of pity and compassion towards those in need. Faithfulness refers to, to trusting God and, and loyalty to Him. So these were three things that the Lord identifies it says that they had neglected. So rather, they had put more emphasis on, on tithing on spices. 
So turn with me to, to Micah in the Old Testament. Micah chapter 6. Micah in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. Micah 6, verse 6, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Look at verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I couldn't help thinking of this passage when I was studying verse 23. And perhaps Jesus had the words of Micah in mind while he was speaking to the, the Pharisees. In, in the context there in Micah, the prophet is insisting that they do justly, that they love mercy, and they walk humbly with, with the Lord. He says these are more important. He says these are more important than their burnt offerings. They're more important than calves which are a year old. They are more important than the rams. They're more important than the, the rivers of oil. These are the major things which mean we need to be majoring on, not the minor things. The Jews in Micah's day had the same problem as the Pharisees. They were committed to the law of God externally on the outside, but they had forsaken the matters of the heart. They were majoring on the, the minors. They were placing effort on the minutiae, the small little things. And as Jesus points out, this was hip hypocritical. And they were hypocrites because they should have been focusing on the things which were weightier, the things which were more important, the more important portions of the law which have to do with a genuine relationship with the living God. At this point, I want to take a moment to talk about tithing and how this applies to us. I'm glad we don't have any visitors today because I don't want you to think that I'm preaching on money. But if you... I've been here a year and a half and I've never preached about tithing, but it's here in our passage this morning. But the Lord is dealing with a heart as well that we need to look at. It's not just about giving, it's about what we give. Are we as believers to tithe? Is this a biblical command? Well, there are many people that teach that Christians are to give 10% of their salary. Maybe some of you do that. This is kind of a, an unspoken rule. Well, let me just say, first of all, in the New Testament, besides the Gospels which speak of, of this occurrence where, where Jesus is condemning the, the Pharisees in Matthew 23 for tithing their spices, there is only one other place in where we see tithing in the New Testament. And that is in Hebrews chapter 7. And that refers to the tithe that Abraham gave to Melchizedek, which was one-tenth of the, the spoils of, of war at that time. That is the only other occasion. So twice in the New Testament, tithing is, 
mentioned. But there is no command in the New Testament to tithe at all. In fact, if, if we use the Old Testament principle of tithing, it would not be 10%, but it would be 23%. If you add up all the tithes that the Israelites had to pay, it wasn't just 10%, it came to 23%. So you might be tempted to say, okay, well, if we're not commanded to tithe, and I'm not to give 10%, then I'm going to give less. I'm going to give less then. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Okay? What I am saying is that 10% was the, was the minimum. 10% was the minimum that the Israelites were supposed to be giving. What the Lord is talking about here is, is a heart attitude. It's about a heart attitude. We see that the Pharisees were just giving the minimum. But when God changes the heart, he, he changes our behavior as well. And there was a heart problem here. They were majoring on things that they shouldn't have majored on. They should have been looking at the issues of the heart. And the Pharisees' heart was, was not changed. It was very hard, and, and all they wanted to give was, was the bare essentials. And there was no evidence, the Lord says, of mercy. There was no evidence of faithfulness. And there was no evidence of, of justice. And the New Testament does teach that we are to be giving for different reasons. It doesn't say we, we're not to give. There's a difference between an offering and a tithe, which we're going to see here in the New Testament. And the Bible does teach us to give, to offer. We are to be giving for, for the, the needs of the saints. In 1 Corinthians 16, it's called, the, 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 the church is called together and they are giving a collection for the saints. We see it in, in Acts chapter 11. The church at Antioch takes a collection for the, the, the struggling church in Jerusalem. They take a collection for the, the needy saints. Let me just say, men, by the way, one of the reasons God has given us our jobs is so that we can provide for those in need. So that we need to be good stewards of these blessings so that we can be blessings to others. As we learn from the parable in, in Luke chapter 12, remember the rich farmer, he just built bigger barns so that he could try and accumulate his wealth and God condemned him for that. We need to be good stewards. Remember that God has given us these blessings so that we can be blessings to others, so we can share with those who are in, in need. In 1 Corinthians 9, it also teaches us that the church supplies for the needs of those who um, proclaim the, the word of God. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So there is teaching in the New Testament as to where we are to give and with what attitude we are to give. We give out of a changed heart, not an, an unchanged heart. And the Lord addresses that. We are to give willingly and not grudgingly. Or not under compulsion but by God's grace to the needs of the saints, which will bring thanksgiving to, to God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I want to show you some verses here. 
that I think are important for us to see. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. Not, oh, I have to give, so I'm going to give. No. We must give, we're not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice it's about grace, folks. Giving is seen as God's grace. Notice that there. It is His grace when you give to the needs of the body. God's grace is manifest there. Look there. He says, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Look at verse 9. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what that portion of Scripture is saying is we don't, we don't give to get. And I know this portion has been misused and manipulated on these... Um, televangelist programs, okay? Sow your seed and God will give you the increase. Well, that's, that's not the, the principle here. The principle is that if you are generous and you are gracious and you are doing it out of a right heart and a, and a right motive, as the Spirit leads you, God will provide. <coughs> God will provide. But if we sow sparingly, you are going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you are going to reap bountifully. And this is not for ourselves. This is for, for the body of Christ, for the believers. So let me just ask a question, you know, this morning, before we continue here this morning. What is your, what is your attitude towards giving? And are you a generous giver or are you a, a stingy giver? Well, if we're stingy, the scriptures show us here that we mustn't expect God to provide too much for us. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Now, are you generous with the heart of Christ? Remember what God said to Abraham. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. God doesn't bless us so that we can just build barns and store them for our own benefit. We need to be generous with the heart of Christ, not foolishly throwing our money around, but for the needs of the, the body of Christ. Are you a generous giver? The Bible says if you are, God will supply that which you need through His grace. God provides, provides bountifully to those who Give graciously. Look at the rest of those verses in 2 Corinthians. Let me read from verse 12 there. 2 Corinthians 9. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by the approval of this service. Now, and I look at this, the rest of the verse. They will glorify God because 
of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That's, that's powerful there, folks. If you do not have a heart to, to give to the, the needs of the, the saints, you're not obedient to your profession to the gospel. That's what it's saying. And evidence of, of someone who has been changed by Christ is having the heart of, of Christ and the gracious heart to provide for the needs of others. And he's saying, if that has not happened to you, it is proof that, that you do not know Christ. But here he says, it is proof that you do know him. Look at the rest of the verse there in verse 13. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Again, the grace of God. Notice it's there again. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He says at the very end there, thanks be to God. Thanks for this most gracious gift, which is Christ. And so in the right context, we see the, the giving in the, the body of Christ in line with Christ, giving himself for us. There's a, there's a parallel here that the teachings of Scripture want us to see. And it's an amazing parallel. And Paul, is, Paul is comparing gracious, generous giving to obedience to our confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says you can't have one without the other. If you profess Christ, you will be a gracious, generous person. When you recognize what Christ has done for you, you will want to give things to the body of Christ. You'll want to serve. You know, you don't need to be told these things. As a Christian, when I first became a Christian, I didn't need to be told these things. When God got a hold of my life, I wanted to give. It was part of the Christian process. If you're following Christ and walking with Christ, you shouldn't be, need to be told these things. This is something that comes because of the Spirit of God that, that stirs these things within you. God will bring about His heart, which is to provide for the needs of the body of Christ. It's an affirmation of your confession and your obedience. So, let me answer the question more clearly. The question I ask, do we tithe? So, te technically, no, we don't tithe. That's, I'm not finished, okay? Hold on. The, t the term tithe is, is not a biblical term for the, the New Testament church. I know we all use it. And some people uh, may, say, may, may say they tithe. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but we understand what we mean by that. We need to be giving. As New Testament Christians, we don't tithe, we give. We give an offering to the Lord out of a, out of a changed heart. And the Pharisees were trying to put on a show. Remember this. They were trying to put on a show for everyone. Yes. They tithed, but they tithed the minimum of 10% of even things that they, they didn't have to tithe on. They were putting on a show. But look at our passage again in, Luke, uh, in Matthew chapter 23, 
verse 23. In the middle of verse 23. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. The Lord says you've got everything down to a T when it comes to your tithing, but you have neglected those things which are more important. The matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They were majoring on the minors. When you trust Christ, it will be evident. It will be evident. When your heart is changed, it will be shown in your conduct. Belief affects our behavior. And the Pharisees did not trust Christ. They had ignored the most important thing for the most unnecessary things. They should have been just. They should have been merciful. They should have been faithful. But that would have only have happened if they had a right relationship with Christ in the first place. They would have understood the heart of Christ in the first place. They would have understood what Christ requires, but they didn't. They were superficial. They were hypocritical. They focused on the minutiae, the small little grains of spices. Before we are too critical with the Pharisees, let's just take a moment to examine our own hearts. You know, I think we're all tempted to focus on the side things of Christianity, the non-essentials of Christianity. We're tempted not to focus on the real issues, the real weightier issues when it comes to our relationship with Christ when it comes to our relationship with the living God we're all tempted to focus on the non-essentials and he said that the Pharisees neglected or forgotten or put away justice you know, the term justice really spoke of what was what was just what was right. Remember, these Pharisees were thieves. Jesus had called them a den of robbers. They were not just. They were unjust. They were cheating people, the vulnerable widows, remember. They were cheating people under the disguise of religion. They were not just people. The next verse says, they are full of robbery and self-indulgence, which we'll look at next week. But they were not just. They had neglected the weightier provisions. Notice the next part there. They had neglected mercy. The term mercy speaks of help for the helpless. They are doing these little tithes, these unnecessary tithes. But part of the whole purpose, one third of the purpose of the tithe was to be merciful to those who were in need. But they neglected those people. They stole from those people. They neglected mercy. Remember, mercy is a, is a characteristic of the, the living God. We have been born again by His mercy. We have received His grace by His mercy. We didn't deserve to be saved. We never deserved His grace. This is a characteristic of the living God. And should be a characteristic of those who are saved. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. They were unmerciful. They robbed widows. And lastly, we see very clearly 
that they were not faithful. They were unfaithful. They did not keep their word. They were unlike God in every possible way. These Christian religious, these religious hypocritical leaders who were supposed to show the character of God did the complete opposite. They were unlike God in every possible way. In the last while we saw they twisted scripture so that they could find loopholes, so that they could lie, so they didn't have to keep their word, so that they didn't have to be faithful. I promise you on the temple, I promise you on the gold, I promise you on my mother's grave, or whatever it might be, they would lie. I'm not obligated because I said it that way. Well, they were just twisting their, their words. They were not faithful. They were wicked. They were liars. They were full of robbery. They were, they were unjust. They devoured those in need of mercy. They did not in any way, shape, or form understand the reality of a true relationship with the living God. They were Pharisees. They were hypocrites. They were quick to tithe on the mint, on the spices, on the dill, on the cumin, but they neglected the provisions of the law. They neglected justice. They neglected mercy. They neglected faithfulness. These are the things they should have done. And they are condemned for this. And if you are abiding in Christ, if you are a true believer this morning, you are going to be just. You are going to be merciful. And you are going to be faithful. These are characteristics of Christ. The one who owns you. The one who has redeemed you. So when we trust in Christ and walk with Him, we exhibit His character to the, the world around us. If you do not know the living God, you are just like these Pharisees. You are full of self-indulgence. Everything is external. You can have the veneer on the outside. You may be counting the seeds. You may be coming to church. You may even be saying praise. You may even be putting your money in the offering plates. But on the inside... You are corrupt. On the inside, you are sinful. You are doing the religious things just to cover your sin, just like the Pharisees were doing. If this is you, you are in need of a Savior who will save you from your sins. We see this in verse 24, the reason for the problem. In verse 24, my second point Notice Jesus finishes with an illustration. He gives us a wonder, wonderful illustration here. He, he's clearly identified the, the problem. Now he lays out the, the main reason why the scribes and Pharisees had fallen into this problem. In verse 24 he says, You blind guides who strain out a net and swallow a camel. Well, firstly he calls them blind guides again. And he's done this a number of times. He did it in verse 16. 
He did it in verse 17. He did it in verse 19. They're spiritually blind. They hardened in their, in their hearts because they are still in their sins. But yet they are trying to lead people and to guide people, but they are blind themselves. Those who were supposedly godly leaders who were supposedly giving such important instructions how to honor God, they were in fact useless. They professed to lead people, but they were useless. They were blind. But notice the word net there in verse 24. They strained out a net. This is, a, this is talking about a wine net. As the name implies, these, these nets were attracted to, to wine, um, and they would often go into these jars or these cups, and you would drink too much. If, if, you drank, if you drank some of this wine, you would often drink this, these nets that were floating on the top of, these, of, of the wine. So the scribes and Pharisees wanted to avoid this. And they would clench their teeth. And they would drink the wine through, through, their, through their teeth. Because these nets were unclean animals. And they didn't want it to be unclean. The law prohibited them from being unclean, if they, if they touched a dead animal, remember, then they were not allowed to be, um, or even a dead corpse, then they weren't allowed to be serving in the, in the temple. And they had to go through a, a, a ceremonial um, cleansing in order to resume their duties. So even these dead little gnats that were in the wine, they would put a gauze over the, the couple, they would try and cleanse their teeth and avoid swallowing these small little dead insects. So they wanted to make sure that they didn't violate the law. But notice here, they were misguided. And that's what the Lord says, you're blind. They missed the point completely. All the while, they thought they were keeping the law, but they were breaking the law. And the Lord paints here a wonderful picture for us. A wonderful illustration of the Pharisees straining out these small little bugs while the, the hoof of a, of a camel is sticking out the corner of their mouths. And they use these two pictures here intentionally. In, in Leviticus 11, the smallest unclean animal was the, was the net, was this little bug. And the largest unclean animal was the camel. So these are both unclean animals. And the Lord is using exaggeration here. He's using this illustration to point out how ridiculous the Pharisees were actually being. They had absolutely no sense of proportion. And this was the main reason for their problem. They were blind. They were irrational. They were straining out little gnats by... But Instead, they were swallowing camels. Their priorities were all messed up. You know, they paid their, their tithe and their mint and their dill of all the, the garden herbs, but yet they disregarded justice and, and, and love and, and mercy and faithfulness. They completely missed it. And simply put, their problem was that they focused on the smallest 
even debatable matters while they violated some of the most obvious commands from the scriptures. They were majoring on the minors. Look at the relevance. Let's spend some time looking at the relevance of the problem this morning. Again, the Lord hasn't recorded this and put it in his word just so that we can be critical about the Pharisees. There's a lesson in here for all of us this morning. Because I think there are so many professing Christians who are guilty of being like these Pharisees who major on the minors. It's pretty easy to understand why the Lord pronounced woe over the Pharisees. Because sometimes we have our priorities upside down. We end up doing all the external things for Christ, whatever it may be. You know, we, on the outside, want to look good in front of people. But internally, we're not just, we're not merciful, and we're not faithful. And if that's characteristic of you, there's a problem. Because that means you do not know the living God. You're focusing on ritual. You're focusing on tradition. You focus on the formalities of religion rather than a true relationship with the living God. And that is what this is all about here, folks. Now, I remember preaching in a village in India a few years ago. As the people got ready for the service, they would all take off their shoes and leave it on the outside and they would come into the hall. But one of the men stood up and he protested just before the service that there was one woman who was, and all the women had to sit on the one side of the church and the men on the other side of the church. But the man protested that one of the women sitting on the other side of the church, her head was not covered. And he wanted her head covered because that was their tradition. That had to be done. So she very graciously obliged and covered her, her head. And as the service went on, as I stood up to preach, I looked over the room at the man who objected earlier on and here was this legalistic man who was protesting fast asleep. Fast asleep. Just like the Pharisees, that man was, was focused on the, the smallest, even debatable matters while having little regard for the, the precious word of God. Legalism. It's something we all struggle with, folks. Legalism is comfortable to our human nature. In fact, it is our, our, def our default mode. Now, we easily fall into the trap that if we can tick enough boxes, then we are right with God. We have this legalistic, rules-driven approach to life. Everything is measurable. If we can just measure up, God will accept us. Doesn't that sound similar to some other religions that we are familiar with, folks? If we just say enough prayers, if we just give enough offerings, if we just do enough pilgrimages, if we just do enough chants, the standard of legalism is clearly defined, but unfortunately it is a false 
And it's ultimately a useless standard. doesn't matter which standard you, you measure yourself by, folks. Legalism will fail you. We must beware of these false, measurable standards that we make for ourselves. The Apostle Paul had much to say about legalism. In the book of Galatians, Paul opposed the, the Judaizers who had added their own laws, traditions and rituals, remember, to, to the gospel. And they were saying you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And Paul opposed this. They had the same problem as the Pharisees that Jesus was admonishing here. And Paul had pronounced woe upon the false teachers. He wrote in Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. All modern attempts to promote works, to promote religion, to promote moral as a way of achieving salvation fall really under the same condemnation that Paul is giving here in Galatians. But how does this apply to us? Think about all the, the false religions, folks, that we know of. And you will see there is a lot of focus and a lot of attention on what is insignificant, on what doesn't matter to God, of what is not important. What is important is that we are sinful people who need to be saved from our sins. And we cannot save ourselves from these sins. No matter what we do, no matter how many times we go and wash ourselves in a, in a holy river, it cannot save us from our sins, no matter how religious we are. There was a river that went through our town in Nasik in India where we lived, where they had this mass um, festival every nine years when planets would align, the Kumbh Mela. And they believed the waters of this river gave you the power to wash away your sins. We had millions of people come to this, to this holy bath. And they would come in this water and wash themselves and bring their children and wash their children. And bring their grand, grandparents and wash them in this water, hoping that this water would wash away their sins. And they would religiously do this. Now a friend who worked for the, the health department and they did a test on that water at the end of this festival and that water was 87% urine but these people were so committed to their religion they didn't care they were washing themselves in 87% urine hoping that if they just follow these rituals they would wash away their sins that's what is important, folks. That's the problem, is that our heart is corrupt. And we need a Savior who will take away our sins. We cannot lose the plot here. We cannot be majoring on the minors. I'm afraid some of us are like this. 
And we take it to the, to the nth degree, but we miss the reality of how wicked we really are, of how sinful we really are. And our priorities are upside down. And if you're like the Pharisees, then you're condemned in your sin. There is no hope. But let me finish on the good news today, folks. There is good news. Because it is the same Jesus who condemned these Pharisees who within a week of this sermon went to the cross. He went to the cross and he gave his life, gave his body as a payment for the penalty of our sins. And you can be forgiven by coming to Christ. The only way you can be forgiven is by repenting of your sins and trusting the work of Christ for the remission of your sins, not your work. No matter how righteous you think you are, no matter how religious you think you are, no matter how many times you come to church, your work will not save you. Only the work of Christ will save you. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of Christ. We cannot trust in rituals. We cannot trust in the externals. Our faith has to be in the work of Christ alone. What can we as believers learn from this this morning as we close? We can fall into this trap of externals and we can miss the important reality which is our relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with Christ. We need to guard it. We need to protect it. We need to pursue Christ. We need to walk by faith. We need to trust in Him. We need to allow His character by His Word to be manifest in our lives. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God when He convicts us of our sin. And the Spirit doesn't condemn us. He never condemns us. He convicts us so that we will turn to Christ and we would find our, our hope in Christ. We need to do this on a daily basis. You, know, you can be very involved but you can be cold to the things of the Lord, isn't it? You can be cold to the needs of other people. We should not be focused on the insignificant, but on the most significant, which is Christ, who gave himself up for us. Don't major on the minors. We need to major on the, the major. And the major is the gospel, folks. And I've said this before and I'll say it until I die. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. We need to remember we are only righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. Only because of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And we need to live in light of that. Live under the shadow of the cross. And thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his grace. Thank God we don't have to live lives that are condemned. We don't have to live as blind guys, as blind fools. 
If we will confess our sins, the Bible says, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So are you forgiven this morning? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt if you were to die today that you could stand before God justified by the blood of Jesus Christ? As we pray this morning, let's examine our hearts. Let's take a moment this morning as we bow our heads to examine our relationship with God this morning before we respond in song. Let's make sure that we are responding with a heart that is right before God. Father, we want to pray to you this morning, firstly for forgiveness, Lord. Forgive us, Father, where we have justified our sins, where we have found loopholes. Forgive us, Lord, where we have focused on things that are not important where we have relied on our religion, where we have relied on our, our rituals, where we have relied on our, our own agenda rather than on the grace of God. Where we have not repented, where we have simply swept our sins under the carpet, ignoring them. Lord, this is the problem of the Pharisees. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from becoming like the Pharisees. And we're all prone to this. We, there, is a, there is a drop of Pharisees in all of us, Lord. This oil of Pharisees, Lord, we pray that you would allow the Spirit of God to have complete reign and access to us this morning. Pray, Lord, that he would convict us and show us, Lord, where we need to make right with you. Lord, I pray this morning, if there's someone here who needs to be saved, that you would save them, Lord. Lord, religion is such a dangerous tool that the devil uses to keep people away from the truth. And we see it right here. And we see it every day. As people trust their religion, but have no relationship with you. So we pray, Lord, please save the lost this morning. Open their eyes. Let them see the truth this morning. Forgive, Lord, our unbelief. And make us more into the image of your, your dear Son. So, Lord, we pray that you would receive the glory from our response now. Lord, that you would use us this week to reflect the beauty of Christ to the world around us, Lord that we would live lives of integrity, that we would shine the gospel light, that we would be faithful, that we would be merciful, and that we would be just, reflecting you in every possible way. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.